guys, before uh, introducing Lance to you, before actually before bringing him up here, um, a little background on him, uh, how I met Lance. So I was 15 years old. I had um, just made my first retreat. It was an awakening, not awakening, agape retreat in Lake Charles. It was a high school retreat. And uh, I didn't know what retreats were. Y'all have heard part of that testimony, that story. Um, I had just now, you know, tragically ended my gymnastics career with a knee blowout. My nanny had died of cancer. So I'm 15 years old, lost my identity, lost my nanny, didn't know what in the world to do and who I was and how to handle all these emotions inside of me, right? Because big boys don't cry. And so I just bottled it all up. And so one day the youth minister came up to me after Mass and said, uh, Mitch, would you like to go make a retreat? And I was like, First of all, who are you? And secondly, what is a retreat? And he said, well, it's a, a weekend where you'll just get together with other students and like, you'll meet girls. And I'm like, sweet. So I went, and, uh, and I did. I met this girl, and she was wonderful. But I also met Jesus for the first time uh, because of this man here. So Lance got up and gave a testimony um, about his own life. And he was in college at McNeese State University. He was riding in the rodeos. Um, he was a bulldogger. It's, those crazy guys that ride the horse and fly off of it and tackle a, a calf. Yeah, that was him. Um, but he got up in his testimony, he started speaking, and he started talking about his family, and all of a sudden he started crying. And I'm sitting there as this young 15-year-old going, oh, crap. Like, big boys do cry. <laughs> and he's a real man. He's a cowboy. And he's crying. I'm like, i got to go talk to this guy. So I pulled Lance off to the side, and... Um, and, uh, and just poured my heart out. I cried for the first time and I don't know how long. And he prayed with me and introduced me to Jesus for the first time. And my life had never been the same since then. And so God used him in a very mighty way um, to get me where I'm at today. And then uh, he started selling cars and then all of a sudden um, he disappeared. Right? I graduated high school. I went on my career of six colleges, five majors in 13 years. And... Um, <laughs> And I uh, lost track with Lance. So from 16 years old until I was 40. At 40, I get ordained a priest. And I really wanted to find him because I was like, man, I would just love to see him again. To be here at my ordination because of what a big impact he made on me at 15 years old. And so I searched all over the place. He was nowhere to be found on Facebook or any social media. And I'm like, oh, well, I'm getting ordained and, uh, and he's not going to be there. About three months after my ordination, uh, I started a men's ministry, E6, and a guy named Billy Joe started coming to E6. And I got the flu, and um, his, him and his wife came over and brought me some, some chicken noodle soup. And they were like, well, how'd you be a priest? Like, how'd this happen? Did you, like, pop out of your mama's womb with a collar on your neck? I'm like, well, no, it's a long story. So I started telling my story, and every time I get in my testimony about that guy, I never say his name. But they're cowboys, too, Gina and, uh, and Billy Joe. And I was like, well, maybe they know him. So I was like, you might know this guy. His name is Lance Mudd. And they're like, well, yeah, we've heard of Lance. He's kind of a legend in the rodeo world because he was a pro rodeo guy. And uh, <laughs> making you blush. And, um, but they were like, his cousin, Bobby Mudd, rides for our rodeo. So we can definitely find him. So about a week goes by, and Billy Joe gets all excited at the next E6 Mass and says, dude, I spoke to Lance. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And he said, I tried not to tell him that you were a priest. He said, but he was just going on and on and on. He said, he didn't remember you. <laughs> I was like, great. And um, <laughs> made a big impact on him. And um, 
He said, and then I, he said, I finally just had to tell him, like, Lance, this guy, you made a big impact on him when he was 15 years old at, a, at, a, at an agape retreat. And he said, uh, and now he's a priest. And he wants to get in touch with you. And he said, he said, Billy, wait, hold on. Little short guy, dark hair, blue eyes, big smile. <laughs> he was like, yeah, that's him. And he said, uh, he said, dude, he said, last week I was at a stop sign and his face flashed in front of my, in front of my mind. And, and you thought, I wonder what that little fellow's doing. The day he thought that, he even said it was last Thursday, was the day that Billy and Gina came over and I told a story to him. So God was at work in all this. Right? So I called Lance on my way from my one parish to the next parish between here and Thibodeau, I mean here in Hyoma. And, uh, and man, I called him up on the phone and I, we just cried. We're like, I can't believe that this is actually happening. You know, from 16 to 40, now God reunites us. And um, so that Saturday, I drove over to Cameron and celebrated Mass in his home uh, with his family and friends. And uh, just been an incredible experience. And so parts of his testimony are wrapped up inside of our reunion and how God has used us um, together in mission uh, in Mexico. Uh, but most of it's just his incredible story of what happened um, from that point onwards. And so... It's a great honor, a great gift uh, to share uh, this friendship that I have with him, with you guys, but most importantly to see how God has worked powerfully in his life. And so, no further ado, give Thank me my brother Father. Lance. Uh, yeah, what Father was saying is true about me working retreats and all, but there's another side of the story, too, that I'm going to share with you guys. Uh, I was raised in southwest Louisiana. My mom was the spiritual leader of our family. My mom made sure we said our prayers, went to Mass. We didn't miss Mass for no rodeos, no baseball, no sports. You would go to church, made sure that we uh, saved blessings before our meals. And my dad was a good man, but me and dad never really talked about God. He was a hard worker, good man. But my dad taught me how to be a man, how to take pride. He'd always say, hey, you don't have to be smart to be a hard worker. Life ain't fair. And he meant well, he really did. But the only really time I heard my dad speak about God, you know, whether we was working cattle or hunting or fishing, him and the men were saying God's name in vain, you know. And, uh, you know, and I was young. My dad took me to my first rodeo and... Uh, and I was in it. I wasn't just there to watch, man. I rode the calves, did the events, and at the end they gave us prizes, ribbons, and trophies, and, and I was hooked. That's all I ever wanted to do, man. The real cowboy work is hard. This competing stuff was fun because you'd go in, the lights were on, and people would clap for you, and, and I'm nine years old. And I did that growing up. Fast forward, I get to high school, and uh, I had a good relation with God. I had a good prayer life. My mom made sure when there was Lent, that we'd sacrifice, give up stuff. Um, Dad never really would ask a lot about it, but Mom always made sure that we was grounded in our faith and knew who Jesus was, Mother Mary. But in high school, I was serious about sports, really didn't drink, uh, pretty good kid, you know. Well, fast forward my senior year, uh, Mom and Dad has little troubles here and there, so I move out the house. Uh, and I go live with my grandpa, and, you know, in rodeoing, 
they have a state level. They take the top four kids of each in each event in the state of Louisiana, and you'd go compete at a national high school finals in Douglas, Wyoming. So I made it up there. It was my sophomore year then, and I won a national championship. I won the buckles, the prize, the saddles. They gave us hats, boots, and man, I, I, I just knew that's what I was going to do uh, was be a cowboy, and, and I did. And I left high school. My mom was wanting me to go to college, and I didn't want no part of school. I hated school. I wasn't good at it. My younger brother used to help me with my grades or my sister because all I ever did was rope and didn't care about school. So they talked me into going to McNeese. Uh, I was on the rodeo team. Get to McNeese. I go meet my advisor, and I go sit down with the gentleman. I'll never forget his name, Mr. Mouton. Well, he has me signed up for history, math, English. I don't know what all, about 18 hours. And I looked at that and I said, sir, this ain't going to work. He said, what do you mean? I said, I'm here to rodeo. I ain't here for no college degree. I said, uh, we're going to take golf, racquetball, rodeo, and ROTC. Because I got a lot of practicing to do. And I want to make sure I keep my grade point average so I don't flunk out. Because I'm not here to graduate. He said, son, you can't do that. I said, hold on, Hoss. You work for me. I said, you're going to put down what I want now. And boy, he said, son, you kind of cocky, huh? I said, no, sir, it's just the way it's going to be. I said, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm focused. I'm here to rodeo. So anyway, uh, I wouldn't tell my kids to do that, but they know about it because they went to college at McNeese. But anyway, he laughed about it. He put me in the classes. Man, I made 4.0, no problem whatsoever. Uh, and I remember our first college rodeo. You know, I was a freshman. I was on team, and it was in Uvalde, Texas. And, you know, the seniors, the older guys, they kind of harping on us. We little freshmen. First rodeo we'd go to, uh, I win the all-around. I had the most points in the boys' events there, won $1,600. And in college, they could pay us rodeoing, you know. So, man, after the rodeo, we go out. We have a good old time, and it's about... 11 o'clock at night, it gets later. The guy said, man, let's go to Mexico. It ain't far from Uvalde, so I'm 18. I don't know where Mexico is. So we drive, man. We go down there, a bunch of us, and we get down to Mexico about 1-something in the morning. We come back across the border. It was like 7 in the morning, and uh, I come back with only $300. I spent $1,600 down there on my friends and me. And But fast forward, you know, it was my freshman year. It was really rough. I made the college finals. Didn't do any good uh, at them my first year because of the drinking. But all of a sudden, my sophomore year, I tear up my knee. And uh, I had a couple guys that would go to the church on campus, the student center, that invited me to make an awakening. So I'm like, man... I appreciate the offer, but I'm busy, da-da-da. And I was just lying because I had nowhere to go. All my buddies I rodeoed with, they was off college rodeoing and doing their thing, and I was stuck by myself. So I made this awakening in college, and God showed me love, and it's changed me. And it's still changing me. I didn't know a lot about the Catholic faith, but I got peace. I made a good confessional. I had a chance to visit with the priest with a lot of questions I had. But 
it wouldn't last long. Because once my knee was healed and I was ready to go back rodeoing, man, I was back drinking, getting in trouble, and putting God like on a shelf, you know? I just didn't think God fit in the rodeo atmosphere because, you know, the way that we acted, nobody was a bad influence to me. I was bad on myself. I didn't need nobody leading me straight. Most time I was leading other people the wrong way. But fast forward, while in college, I would do good for a while, and then I'd relapse about. Because look, we in college, we're supposed to enjoy ourselves. It's a great experience, you know. Uh, we only live once, so let's experience all we have. But the older I got, I look back and I reflect. You know, some of the most peaceful times while I was in college is whenever I spent time at church, I made daily mass, I'd say my rosary, I was prayerful. But I just didn't know how to moderate and balance my time with rodeoing, God, and other things. I was either one way in, all the way, or I was totally out, you know? So I fast forward, I only rodeoed at Magnes for two and a half years, because uh, it was time to start taking the English, math, and the histories. All these electives caught up to me. So I had some older buddies that were going pro, man. They was really good. These guys made it to the NFR. It's like the Super Bowl of rodeoing. They bought all. And uh, so I got in the truck with them. I rode their coattail because uh, they knew where to enter, where to go. And uh, I did that for a couple years. And I finally realized that I just wasn't big enough or good enough. And man, I was mad at God because that's all I ever wanted to do. That's all I knew. I had no college degree. I had no trade. So I'm engaged to my high school sweetheart. Me and her dated. I was 15. She was 13. She rodeoed. She won a high school all-around champion. She won a college title. But she had her stuff together. She went to college, did her books, and uh, she graduated. She was teaching school. I come home broke, no trade, no education. So I went from a cowboy to a car salesman. And uh, I made a good living selling cars. Uh, and at the end of the month, man, they'd always give a prize. You could take a trip or they'd give you money. Well, I wanted the money. And nothing against a trailer house, but we was living in a $7,500 trailer house. I had a toy box to keep the rats out. So I needed the money to fix the floor, you know. So I did that a while. Then I got out and I started a waste company, solid waste business. I was 30 years old. I'd hauled trash. Didn't know anything about trucks or anything. But the work ethics my dad taught me, I was pretty street smart and I could catch on pretty quick. So we grew the company in about seven years. I took all the work ethics that I had from the rodeo arena to work, you know. And this company was growing, man. I was bringing guys hunting, fishing, golfing. By now I have three girls, but I'm working six, seven days a week. I'm starting to make money, and it becomes my God. You know, neglecting my wife my kids, but I was providing. Well, I ended up selling the company, and I did very well on it. Uh, 
for no education. You know, I had an ego, man. I really did. An older man told me something one time, and I didn't know what ego stood for. And he told me, he said, son, you're edging God out. But I sold this company for $2 million. I was 37 maybe years old. I didn't give God one penny. Not one penny did I give God the church, charity, nothing. I bought me a lot of toys with it. House, land, Rolex, Harley Davidson. All this stuff's going to make you happy. Put my kids with the best baseball coach or, you know, help them rope or whatever because I wasn't home. And my wife was the one that taught my kids how to pray. My wife made sure they went to catechism. In the world's eyes, yes, I might have been successful. But when I got married, I didn't realize. I knew I loved my wife. I knew I wanted to be a good dad. But I thought if I just brought them to church and made money, it would make me a good Catholic dad. I didn't know I had a vocation. You know, I thought just priests, deacons, monks had vocations. I, I didn't realize that it was my responsibility to try to help my wife and kids get to heaven. You know, husband loves your wife as Christ loved the church. Well, that was the problem. I wasn't, I was 40 years old, I guess, before I really understood what love was. I tell my wife I loved her all the time. I'm going here, I love you. I'm doing this, I love you, bye, whatever. All I was telling her was thank you. I don't know if y'all heard of the eye disease or not, but I've seen it in Mexico, seen it in New York, Africa, and it's, it's tearing families apart. It's tearing the young generation, old generation, and it kind of goes like this. I don't care what you think. I don't love you anymore. I do what the hell I want. I don't like that priest's homilies are too long. I, I, I. But John the Baptist says it best. I must decrease and God must increase. Well, after selling the company, still blowing and going, I get a call from a guy that wants to sell me a business. I didn't pray about it. I didn't call my wife. I didn't discern about it. I bought it. And I told this guy, I said, look, Come to work with me. And I said, uh, we sell this thing. I'll, I'll give you three times what I paid you or whatever the number was. And I said, just, he goes, look, man, I'm married. I got young kids. I'm not going to be working crazy hours. And he was a lot younger than me. And I'm like, dude, don't worry about it. I'm going to handle it. I'm going to do all the hustling. I'll do all the work. You just bid these jobs, tend to your family. I'll respect you for it. But yet, I was willing to put my wife and kids on the back burners to make more money, you know. So I buy it 2006 to 2010. The company's growing. Things are going good, on track. It was January the 10th, 2010. I put together a big old party at the LaBerge Casino. My wife, uh, my mother, and cousins, and uncles, and we all go out. We have a good old time. And um, I get up the next morning, I feel for my wife, she's not in there. And so I call her, I said, where are you at? She said, I'm at home, where are you? 
I said, heck, I thought you was downstairs eating breakfast. I'm still in bed. She said, Lance, I tried to wake you up, but you was passed out, so she hung up. So I didn't want to call nobody to come pick me up from my work to see me in this shape. So I, uh, I got up, looked in the mirror, and I saw a man that I despised. And I knew my mom raised me better than this. And uh, it was 1.30 in the day. I took a taxi cab 30 miles to my house. And on the way home, uh, just a lot of the box was closing in on me of the lifestyle that I was living. So when I got home, we pull up. My three daughters, my oldest one was 16, my other daughter was 14, my little daughter was 8. They see me get out of this taxi cab, same clothes I had on the day before, hair all messed up. I walked in the house. I told my wife, I looked at her like I hadn't in many years. And I told her I was sick. She said, yeah, what's wrong? And I told her, I'm an alcoholic. Growing up, that was not one of my goals at all, you know. And I have three daughters, and, uh, you know, whenever they went off to college, then my wife would want me to talk to them about it. And I'm like, you know, and I, and I just tried to explain to them, because I'm not, there's nothing wrong with drinking. There's nothing wrong. It's all about moderation and balance. And I told my daughter how it started with me. When I was in college, we'd drink Friday, Saturday. Then there was Monday night football. Then I had a buddy that had a birthday or something during the week, so that was four nights a week, four times a month. It's 16 nights out the week I was drinking. And then I'd hustle pool on Monday night, so that was five nights a week, four times. That's 20 times. And after two and a half years, I was pretty well, uh, not saying alcoholic, but I was drinking a lot. And I just explained. I said, just never lie to yourself. I want you all to have fun. I want you to experience college. But I said, just keep track. They joined, uh, you know, fraternities and stuff, and I was happy for them. And... Uh, my oldest daughter come home after the second semester, I think, and said, Dad, I want to talk to you. She said, what you told me was true about the nights. I started counting them, and she said, uh, it could get out of hand. And all I tell them is be careful. They went to McNeese, excuse me, and they transferred to LSU. So I bought them a house over there, and they was like, my wife, how much are you going to charge them rent? My wife's tight like that with money. How are you going to charge? Charge and all this. So I said, don't worry, I'll get with the girls, I'll visit with them, and I'll come up with something. So I told them, I said, look, I tell you what, y'all can either pay me money or y'all can pay rent. All I ask y'all to do is go to church one day extra a week. I'm not saying you have to spend an hour in adoration, nothing like that. Just go by and thank God that he's blessed us to be able to afford this. So I share with my wife. She's like, well, how are you going to know? I said, hey, I told them, they're going to have to answer to God. I'm not calling and checking on y'all. You tell me you're going to do it. I trust you. If you don't, you got to take it up with God. So that was ideal. And they didn't go for about three weeks. You know, they told me later. And uh, then one day they called and they went, got into the student center with Father Josh uh, in Baton Rouge. And... Uh, 
my daughters fell in love with him, and, and he ended up marrying one of my daughters. And uh, so anyway, he, he didn't marry them. He was a priest. Who? Josh. No, he Father married Josh. Callan and Chris. Right. But Father Josh didn't marry your daughter. <laughs> yeah. Little clarification. Exactly. <laughs> so anyway, you know, the, the, so the kids, after I sold the business and I'll share with my wife, she was like, are you going to go to rehab? And I'm like, yeah, if I have to. I didn't read up on detoxing or anything and went through the withdrawals. And it was one night, I woke up, I drove 30 miles into town. I was like, I'm going to go to church. So I drove to Our Lady Queen of Heaven. The front door was locked. I got to the side door, it was locked. And I'm like, God, why? I finally come and you locked me out. But little did I know, I walked around the back. They had an adoration chapel. And he was there waiting. And I really didn't know it was Adoration Chapel. I walked in, and Jesus was in the monstrance. And I didn't even sit in front of him because I knew I wasn't worthy. I sat on the side, and I just slept. And it was about 2.33 in the morning. About 5.30, people started coming in. I'm like, dang, they got problems too, you know. So I kept going. And then after about four or five days a week, I followed a couple older couple out. They was going to Mass. And when I walked in, I saw a red light, green light. And I wasn't on the street. It was the confessional. And it's been a while since I've been, you know. So I made a good confession, left out. Uh, felt like I could walk on water. It was the first time that I've been and truly felt sorry for offending God, you know. Uh, I made confessions before, but I just didn't want to go to hell. But it was the first time I've ever went and truly confessed it. And whenever the priest said, go and sin no more, that I was going to actually try to be accountable for my sins instead of saying, I'll go next week if I need to, you know. So... Fast forward, my brother goes to Mexico. He's down in Mexico on vacation. And I said, man, bring, see if they need help building a church down there. Still don't know why I asked. I guess it was the Holy Spirit. Well, his wife brought back a bulletin. And uh, sure enough, they needed help. Called the priest. I fly down there to go check. And I called my mom. I said, look, mom, man, I'm going to go help build this church. Da, da, da. She said, Lance, you ain't read the news. They're killing people down there. And I'm like, mom, I've been dead. You've been praying for a conversion. God answered your prayers. I'm going to Mexico to help with a church, you know. And I, and I was doing it in a prideful way, I guess, because I felt like it was back tax I owed God because I sold the business, made money. I never gave him nothing. It's the first time I'm going to do something maybe good for God, you know. So I went down. We helped build some churches, adoration chapels. But the people down there, I thought I was going to go down there and help them. But the simplicity, the faith, the love they had for God, it opened my eyes. And it, it really made me appreciate our priests more, our church more. You know, uh, here we have Mass with air-conditioned lights. Down there, they have nothing, man. They say Mass on the streets. They say them in the jungles. 
you know, little mamas have their children. Uh, they walk miles to go. They'll go to adoration for two hours, you know. So it really opened my eyes. Fast forward, I was helping with hospice. Man, I was on Radio Maria, Revelant Radio, uh, trying to save the world, man. But I'm going to adoration mass daily. This was in 2010, so about 2015, I'm in adoration one day, and God's like, you're not a priest, you're not a deacon, you're a husband, you're a father, go home. I'm like, God, you fire me. I mean, people are laughing at me. This is the first time I've ever been all in trying to help. What have I not done? And he said, like, I don't need you. You know, I've, you, you're a husband. And it kind of scared me, to be honest, you know. And I left with a little attitude. I'm like, okay, fine, God. So I'm leaving. I'm going to the Catholic bookstore. God, you want me to read a book on how to be a father, a husband, whatever, whatever. I pull in there. I go into the bookstore. There was a pretty picture of St. Mother Teresa. If you want to save the world, go home and love your family. I'm like, wow. I turned around left. And we don't think priests know about marriage or boyfriend, girlfriend stuff, but I'm here to tell y'all, y'all wrong. Because I had three priests, I had about 30 priests, but three priests come to the house. First priest was Father Scott, he comes over, and we talk, share about the gospel, this and that. But we go into the kitchen to eat, Father accidentally hits some berries, knocks them over. And I'm like, Father, we got it, we got it. And what I really meant was my wife was going to pick up the berries, you know. But before I knew his father was down there picking up berries, so, man, I hit the floor too. My wife just grinning at me like, you jerk. You wouldn't be down there if the priest wouldn't be picking them up. <laughs> so anyway, man, I get down there and I'm help picking them up and we eat and Father leaves and, you know, I got to thinking, not what he said, but what he did. He didn't even think about it. When he knocked him over, he, he picked him up, you know. And so next priest come was Father Mitch. Uh, that's whenever we got connected. He comes to the house. My mom, dad, uncles, cousins. He was hearing confession in our room, and we had beautiful mass. Well, the next morning, me and Kelly, my wife, was in the kitchen. She's getting stuff ready, and I'm reading. You know, my readings get my day go. She wants me to throw the trash. I'm like, can't you see I'm reading? I'm not on Facebook. I ain't on the Internet. I'm reading the day's word. About this time, Father Mitch comes around the corner. Father Mitch, said, uh, my wife said, Father, that's what I'm talking about. I'm like, Father, I'm doing my reading. I said, I'm telling you, sometimes when I see her, she looks like the devil, man. And Freaked me out. Father Mayor's like, whoa, sort of, sort of what's going on? Right in front of me. And, uh, and uh, so anyway, uh, Father explained to me, you know, he was like, look, Lance, I'm praying in my house in adoration to Jesus. Somebody knocks on the door. I'm there to serve. I tell Jesus I love him. I cover him. Now go answer the door. So whenever your wife asks you to do a little something around the house, you can tell God, hey, I love you. I'll read after a while. And that's your vocation. Serve your wife. 
So I'm like, okay, Father, I'm, I'm trying to get it. But I was struggling. All the other sacraments I got, but this marriage part was like, I love my wife so much. I'm serious. I don't ask her to come help me build a deer blind. I don't ask her to help me bail hay. None of that. I know she don't like it, so I'm not going to ask her. So she's asking me to do all these honeydews around the house. I'm thinking she's poking at me for all the stuff I did for all these years. But that's what husbands do, you know. That's what husbands do. True love is to serve and not have an angle or some, want something in return. So the other priest comes in, was from Mexico, Father James. He gets in, we say Mass, and me and him's getting ready to go the next morning to Alexandra, Radio Maria. So I get up, I have his coffee. He walks in the kitchen the next morning. My wife was there. And uh, he said, Mother Mary says, we're going to eat breakfast as a family. Lance, we're going to help get the plates. And I'm like, whoa, Father. I said, we, we got to go to Alexandria. It's a two-and-a-half-hour drive. We're going to be late. No. He said, we're going to eat with the family. We're going to help your wife set the table. We're going to get the milk. My girls come in. So we was all as a family, set the table, set our blessing, ate. I'm like, Father, you ready? No, we're going to wash dishes. We're going to help Kelly do everything. Boy, my wife was just grinning over there because she knew I'd be the one wanting to cut out. So it took these three priests to come in my house. And they all holy. And he wasn't really worried about Radio Maria. He had faith in God that we was going to get there when we got there, if it was meant to be. Father Mitch shared with me, then Father Scott. So it was like, okay, I'm going to try, God. But I truly didn't have humility. I always thought I did, but I didn't have true humility. Because it was my pride from being in rodeo and owning my own business, I always was the boss, you know, controlled everything. You're going to do what I say. If not, I'll fire you, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, it was hard to get respect from my kids and my wife after running and gunning all these years. And then you come back in this environment, and I want to visit with my girls. Well, all they need is some money and a car key. They, they busy, they gone, you know. But through the years of me praying and just humility and them seeing me go to Mass and being kind to their mom, it, it's made a big difference. And me and my girls, my oldest two girls are married. They have kids. And uh, we're best friends, man. They call, they share. My youngest daughter's 20. And, uh, you know, I still apologize to them on a lot of the stuff that I didn't do, you know. Uh, because no one told me, you know, there wasn't a book, an owner's manual, and most probably I didn't like reading, I wouldn't have read it anyway, so <laughs> it wouldn't have helped. But, you know, I've been blessed in so many ways, and through, I guess, the alcoholism, it was humbling that I done got myself into something that I knew it was going to take God to help me get out of it. You know, and all these toys I thought was going to bring happiness uh, didn't. And I was always searching. 
And it was till I realized that only God, only God can give me that true peace. I'm the only, nobody can take it from me. I can give it away, whether it's through pride, anger, lust, envy, you know, that uh, I'd always tell my girls, you know, they come back from school. I could tell, I could tell if they've been running hard. Their mama didn't. Their mom was straight lace all her life. But I could tell when they was running and having a good time, and I'd just tell them, you know, don't forget who you are. Don't forget who you are. And uh, they, they've, uh, they've helped me. And I don't know if I mentioned this or not, but one of my daughters, she had an eating disorder, you know. And uh, she was scared to tell us. And it was about the time... Uh, I, I let them know that I had a drinking problem. So me and my oldest daughter could really relate. Uh, she was going through what she was going through. I was going through what I was going through. And uh, we really, you know, my wife couldn't understand how we get ourselves in this position, you know, why my daughter was doing this. And, and you know, it, like I told her, it, it's, it's nothing that me and her chose to do, but through me and her, weaknesses we came closer because of God you know to help us both uh dependent on him you know and she'd be honest with me and I'd be honest with her you know she would do it she'd call me whatever uh but it was a grace it really was looking back you know me and her glad it was me and her than her and some other guy or some other whoever you know because I always wanted my kids to be able to call me uh and be honest with me and if I didn't know the answers, I'd try to get it for them or get them help, you know, because, uh, you know, it's it's tough being a parent. Uh, we don't know everything that, that we should, and maybe we don't show the love the way that we need to. Uh, I only knew how to show it by working hard and giving them money and, uh, and not really uh, being there for them through the hard times, you know. But, Father Mitch, you have anything? Yeah, can you uh, just tell them real quick how you came in contact with Divine Mercy and the Diary and Our Lady Guadalupe? Oh, I was down in Mexico, and uh, the priest gave me a book, The Diary of St. Faustina. I've never read a book in my life. Tom, Jerry, nothing. I did not read. <laughs> nothing. I mean, <laughs> I'm being honest. I did not read. Uh, so he hands me this book, man. It was this thick. And we was out. He was hearing confession. Well, he was getting ready to go hear confession. He goes, Lance, I want to give you this book. I looked. I said, whoa, Father, I don't read. I said, I'll do some rosaries or fast or something, but I, I prefer not to read. He goes, well, hopefully you read before you die. And he walks off. And I opened it. And, and it was she was born in 1905. She died in 1938. I'm like, wow. This is a modern saint, you know. So I started reading the book, you know, and it changed my life. Uh, it took me about a month and a half. I'd wake up middle of the night, whatever. I'd go to adoration, read for two hours, three hours. Uh, and, and it's Jesus, I trust in you. And that's all I had at the time because I didn't know much. But Jesus, I trust in you. And I, and, that's what that, and I still do it today with my wife, my life, my kids, my business my health, my wealth, everything. Jesus, I trust in you. 
and it's gotten me through, you know. And what's crazy, I didn't even know what divine mercy was. Uh, we built the church in Mexico. They named it the Divine Mercy. And we needed a relic of St. Faustina. I was like, wow, where are we going to get this? So Father James emails the nuns in Poland. They sent us two relics. They accidentally sent one extra. So we put one in the altar, and then we had one. We would go to different churches and give talks on it about St. Faustina, Divine Mercy, the Corporal Spiritual Works of Mercy. And uh, three years ago, I went to Poland with Father. He called me to go to Poland, and we go to visit the sisters to tell them thank you. And he brought them some uh, Our Lady Guadalupe cards and everything. And while we was there, the, the little nun at the office was like, Oh, yeah, sister would like to meet you and Father James. So we met the head nun of the order that St. Faustina was in. So they bring us in a room and her and father's talking. They have a translator. And, I mean, just tears started coming down my eyes like, here I am, Creole, from Creole, never read a book. First book I ever read was the R. St. Faustina. I'm sitting here before this nun and tears just start coming down like, I'm dreaming or something, you know. I never once dreamed when I read this book that I would go to Poland and all this stuff, you know. So the Divine Mercy really helped me uh, with the corporal and spiritual works and mercy, you know. Y'all have any questions? Mr. Fournier? Thank you for coming. This is a college buddy of mine, David. We rodeoed together. And it's just funny how God works. He moved off. We hadn't talked in many years. And me and him got connected about two, three years ago now. And it was about God. You know, who would have thought? Me and David drank, ran the roads together, and never once dreamed that we'd be talking about God. But we slow learners, man. And it's beautiful to see you younger generation. You know, y'all have technology now. It's all at your fingertips. You know, good and bad. Good and bad. You know, and, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, like I tell my girls, you know, it's a journey. But I think it's a, it's a, it's a choice in life. Because I look back over my life, I'd be close to God, and I'd put him up on a cabinet. I don't know about y'all. Then I get myself in a bind. I try to make a deal with God. Boy, you get me out of this. I'm going to be good again, you know. And, and I did it all through my 18 to 20. And you think, boy, when you get to 30, it's going to be easier. Well, then there's something there that messes up from 30 to 40, 40 to 50. So it's all. I mean, back when I was there, there was alcohol. There was sex. There was drugs. You know, they didn't have porn on a phone, but you could go get a hustler and a playboy. You know, there, there was always the devil, man. It's just different because it's at y'all's fingertips, you know. And, uh, you know, I just wish that I could have stayed more connected and committed to God with my prayer life. And I'd have had a spiritual director, a priest, you know, instead of running uh, from God, you know, because even at my age, whenever I, at 44 through my conversion, yeah, that's older to you guys, 
but still at 44, there's still some good years in us, you know, that we can have fun, you know, because there's temptations even more because I have money. You know, when I was your age, man, 20 bucks go a long way. You draft beer, 50 cents on David. You know, I mean, we didn't need a lot. Trouble was trouble. So all I'm saying is, is, you know, try to stay in the confessional. Stay in the Eucharist. Stay in the Eucharist. We are what we eat. And get you a good spiritual director. You know, whether it's a priest, a deacon, a good Catholic friend that's going to keep you accountable uh, you know, help you be honest with each other. And uh, it's a journey. We're all on it. I think the most holiest person in here is the one that left the confessional last. Am I right, Father? No. You know? Great state of grace. So, anyway, it's an honor to be here. I know I'm all over the board with this, but... Uh, Stay used to it. Anyway. <laughs> Sir? <laughs> Who's that? Being all over the place. Thoughts all over the place. Well, he taught me. <laughs> there no, I go. You. I'm going to have to tell him the squirrel taught me. <laughs> but anyway, awesome. thank y'all and God bless y'all. Y'all have a beautiful adoration chapter. Yes. Beautiful. Love yeah. it. Yeah. Let's pray before we go. Um, I'll tell you one thing, another thing real quick. Um, <clears throat> Whenever God brought us back together and I celebrated Mass at his house for that first time, um, my first cousin, whom I, I grew up with, we were like brothers growing up, um, his name is David. And uh, David couldn't come to my ordination because two days before my ordination, he was at his dad's boathouse. And they were in that open, uh, open walled elevator, right? And they go up to the second floor to get off, and his two kids got off. And all of a sudden, as he's stepping off the elevator, it shot up in the air, and his leg got stuck. And so he's hanging in between the ceiling and the, and, the, and the floor by his leg that's pinned inside the elevator. And so he ended up having to get his leg amputated the weekend that I got ordained a priest. And so I didn't get a chance to share that moment with my cousin. Fast forward to whenever I go to Lance's house, David's in the living room. <laughs> and I'm like, how the heck is this happening? Like, how do you know Lance? And his son and Lance's daughter, I don't know if they had the hots for each other or what was going on, but um, they were good friends. And so David ends up in the living room with uh, Lance's family when I got to go and, uh, and celebrate the Mass. So it was really cool how, like, God just, he's got a much bigger picture than we can ever imagine in our lives. And we can run and we can hide, but, dude, he's, he's always going to put that longing in our heart for him. Our hearts are always going to be restless as his heart was restless, as mine's been restless, and maybe yours has been restless, and you're searching for that peace. And we're never going to be satisfied, you know, until, until we rest in Christ, as Augustine says. So um, I think Lance's testimony is just uh, incredible. Uh, and it's beautiful that God has made full circle to bring us all back together and, uh, and let this night happen. So, um, Lance, yeah, we're in with a Hail Mary. Um, Lance is going to be hanging out for a little while if anybody wants to talk to him. Pull him aside. Maybe he'll rock your world like he did mine about 35 years ago. Um, so let's pray. Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord God, we thank you so much for tonight, for the beautiful gift of the patience that you have with us, the love that you have for us, the mercy that you want to pour out upon us, in the way that you always uh, never abandon us, you never leave us, you're always calling us back to you and your love for us allows us to go wayward, and your love always calls us back. 
So, Lord, we pray that if there are restless hearts in here, we pray that they may find you and that they may come to know you and, and just uh, and, and seek no more. So, Blessed Mother, we thank you for all this. We thank you for the way that you have brought us to your Son, Jesus. So we pray together. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. One quick announcement. I know it's uh, about a quarter to eight. We do have night prayer at nine o'clock inside the Adoration Chapel. We would dim down the lights and we'll chant night prayer. So if you want to hang out till then, that's cool. If you want to come back, that's awesome too. Um, but no, that's Monday through Thursday uh, for you guys. Um, and uh, Lance will be around for a little while and hanging out in the calf. All right. God bless you. Thanks, y'all, for coming.